from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Give us a call. Our phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. It is D-Day, the 79th anniversary of D-Day, when American soldiers famously stormed the beaches of Normandy, France in World War II, and I salute the fallen and everyone who has served, both then and now, because it's a tremendous sacrifice. 79 years ago today, the Allies landed on Omaha Beach, and they were prepared to face sudden death in order to defend liberty. Despite a heavy death toll, the Allies came out victorious that day. Thank God. As uh, Joshua Phillip from the Epic Times wrote, quote, what won the battle against all odds was the ability of common men to do great things, to overcome a challenge that seemed impossible, and through courage and inner will to be to come out better in the end than any number cruncher thought possible. That spirit was seen on D-Day, end quote. When they faced the overwhelming force of Germans on the high ground, the Americans took matters into their own hands. Uh, Philippe wrote, at the beach where Pyle landed against all odds and all normal protocol, Navy ships rolled near the shore and went head-to-head with German guns. May the spirit of the Allies continue to live in America, the spirit of a republic where independent people take it on themselves to stand against tyranny. That was a, a piece written by Rachel Kukaji uh, on my website, richvaldez.com, a number of years ago when she used to contribute to the site. And I wanted to read it because I thought it was so well said. And it, it's, it's a part of history that we should never forget, one that so many seem to gloss over as if it never happened, but it did. And it's important that we acknowledge it. Back in 1984, Ronald Reagan gave a D-Day speech, and I've got a clip of it, and I'm going to play it in uh, true uh, Levin fashion, right? I learned uh, all this stuff from um, one of my mentors, the great one, Mark Levin, who uh, would always give full context, and he still does, uh, full context to these clips of some of the greatest speeches ever. And some of my favorites are from uh, President Ronald Reagan. I want you to listen to this. We stand on a lonely, windswept point on the northern shore of France. The air is soft, but 40 years ago at this moment, the air was dense with smoke and the cries of men, and the air was filled with the crack of rifle fire and the roar of cannon. At dawn on the morning of the 6th of June, 1944, 225 rangers jumped off the British landing craft and ran to the bottom of these cliffs. Their mission was one of the most difficult and daring of the invasion to climb these sheer and desolate cliffs and take out the enemy guns. 
The Allies had been told that some of the mightiest of these guns were here, and they would be trained on the beaches to stop the Allied advance. The Rangers looked up and saw the enemy soldiers, the edge of the cliffs, shooting down at them with machine guns and throwing grenades. And the American Rangers began to climb. They shot rope ladders over the face of these cliffs and began to pull themselves up. When one Ranger fell, another would take his place. When one rope was cut, a Ranger would grab another and begin his climb again. They climbed, shot back, and held their footing. Soon, one by one, the Rangers pulled themselves over the top, and in seizing the firm land at the top of these cliffs, they began to seize back the continent of Europe. 225 came here. After two days of fighting, only 90 could still bear arms. And behind me is a memorial that symbolizes the Ranger daggers that were thrust into the top of these cliffs. And before me are the men who put them there. These are the boys of Puente Hope. These are the men who took the cliffs. These are the champions who helped free a continent. And these are the heroes who helped end a war. Gentlemen, I look at you and I think of the words of Stephen Spender's poem. You were men who in your, quote, lives fought for life and lift, left the vivid air signed with your honor. That's the great communicator, Ronaldus Magnus, as he was known by El Rushbo, uh, President Reagan, few as eloquent uh, as, as he, and a, an excellent speech, June 6, 1984, at the 40th anniversary of D-Day, next year being the 80th anniversary of D-Day. So I just wanted to get into that a little bit. I also wanted to remind you that in the next hour, Brandon Strzok from the Walkaway campaign, he's going to be joining us to discuss the LGBTQ culture wars. And it makes you think, you know, we probably wouldn't even have these culture wars today had it not been for the sacrifice of the, those men on the beaches of Normandy back in, in on D-Day, right? Uh, because ultimately it, it was... It, there was so many things at risk. It was, I would say, a time similar to now, but back then they were using military force to try and uh, force the will of, of the fascists, force the will of, uh, of those that were enemies of liberty. And, and today we, we see it in different ways, different types of wars through, um, through a, a, a very cultural uh, revolution, if you will, that we're seeing in our own country. So we're going to have a discussion on that. By the way, Target has lost... $13 billion in market value, according to Fox News. And a little bit later on, we're going to have a conversation with Larry Levine. He's the founder of the restaurant Chili's, and uh, he's going to be discussing the rising cost of beef. Now, steak is obviously getting more expensive. And, of course, we all know that. I went out for a steak this weekend, and I thought, man, these are getting uh, more expensive, very, very pricey. One of my favorite uh, memories in life, being that Father's Day is coming up, is eating steaks with my dad. I would go and, uh, with my dad, and, uh, you know, we, I grew up very poor. And, you know, uh, as I'd gotten older and I'd experienced some success, I'd say, come on, let me take you out for a steak. And, and he would love it. He'd say, man, that's good. <laughs> and, and we'd really enjoy a steak. It was one of my favorite things to do while he was still alive. And with Father's Day right around the corner, I think everybody, if your dad's still around, your granddad, wh whomever you want to honor on Father's Day, You've got to get dad what he really, really wants. And in my opinion, that's an Omaha steak. Yep. 
Omaha steaks, they're perfectly aged, always tender, and guaranteed delicious. The Father's Day experts at Omaha Steaks have made it easy to put a smile on the big guy's face. And I don't mean uh, the big guy you might be thinking of. I'm meaning the big guy in your life. So this summer, make them happy with hand-selected packages. Head over to omahasteaks.com and use my promo code, which is GRILL, G-R-I-L-L. Use promo code GRILL at checkout and get $30 off your qualifying order. Now, you can choose from a, uh, let's see, you've got a variety of things, right? You've got these mouth-watering packages. They include the fork tender bacon-wrapped filet mignons, a couple of other gourmet grillables like the air-chilled boneless chicken breasts. Uh, They've got the burgers, too, Jumbo Franks, and many more favorites. Don't forget to save room for dessert. Most of these gift packages come with four delicious caramel apple tartlets. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. So listen, go to Omaha Steaks and use code GRILL, G-R-I-L-L. Use it when you check out. You're going to get $30 off of the already uh, unforgettable gift price, and that's guaranteed to make Dad's special day even more special. Remember, if there's one thing that you need to know, it's that Dad's want steak. So go to omahasteaks.com, promo code GRILL at checkout. Now, whether he's your dad, your father-in-law, a father figure, or the guy who was always ready to step up when you needed him the most, this Father's Day, show him the love that he deserves with the only gift that's as unforgettable as he is, the mouth-watering perfection of Omaha Steaks. Get those aged, perfectly tender steaks, hand-selected gift packages. Omaha Steaks makes it super easy to give dad what he really wants. Order today and get those $30 off with promo code G-R-I-L-L. And every purchase is backed by their unconditional money-back guarantee. Go to omahasteaks.com. I'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, woke is, a, is an existential threat to our society. I mean, it's an attack on truth. It's a form of cultural Marxism. And it really subordinates merit and achievement to things like identity politics. You can't have a vibrant free society if every institution is dominated by woke ideology. And to say it's not a big deal, uh, that just shows, you know, you don't understand what, what a lot of these issues are right now. That's uh, Governor Ron DeSantis yesterday um, expounding upon woke ideology and how it's uh, cultural Marxism that's affecting us. And I would go as far as to say that we're in the midst of a cultural revolution in the United States. And there's so many aspects to it, not the least of which is how it's, uh, I'm going to say, hijacked a community of people uh, to to serve its own purpose. And I'm talking about the LGBTQ community. And with us to discuss the culture war and how the LGBTQ community is involved in it uh, is Brandon Strzok. You guys know Brandon Strzok, and that's spelled Straka, silent A, S-T-R-A-K-A. Uh, he's the founder of the Walk Away Campaign, and he, he's, uh, he's been on the show before. We've discussed January 6th and his personal experience with that and his experience in walking away from the Democrat Party. And uh, he's got an event coming up in New York. We're going to get to that in, in um, 
in the subsequent segment. But right now, I wanted to get his take on this headline that the target market cap is currently down over $13 billion amid the pride backlash. Brandon Strzok, welcome. Hey, Rich. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing good, my brother. So um, tell us what's going on. I know that you've got, uh, you're always, you know, you keep your, your ear to the ground. You're on the front lines of things. And being um, part of the LGBTQ community, it, it's, um, I'm interested in hearing your perspective and how you see things changing. I mean, I'm just looking at headline after headline, how, you know, it, part of your walkaway experience was seeing how the Democrats use the media to, to propagate their, their story. Uh, now I'm looking at a, a, an article in Breitbart today. It says Democrats are using drag queens to rally 2024 voters. So it seems they'll use anything to get what they want, whether it's by hook or by crook. Brandon Strzok. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, so walk away. We just turned five years old last Happy month. Happy birthday. And thank you. I appreciate it. And, you know, in, in the first couple of years of walk away, that's when we started doing minority focused town halls. And we did them for, you know, the black community, the Hispanic community, the LGBT community. And when we did the first few LGBT town halls, we were talking about things like, you know, if you're a member of a minority community, you have the right to think for yourself. You have the right to uh, not be part of the, the tribal mentality or the hive mindedness. You can be an individual. You don't have to be a Democrat. That was our message. That was our message just a few short years ago. Now, here we are just a few short years later, and we're about to do our next LGBT town hall. And our message is already has transitioned from that to we don't have a right to be preying on children and telling little kids that they should be changing their gender or to be, uh, you know, overtly teaching sexual content and curriculum in schools or to be absolutely dominating the, the, the media culture, the social media culture, the entertainment industry with this pride narrative and the equality narrative and the diversity narrative that's so disingenuous. And, and, and it, it's just it, things have just spiraled so out of control so quickly. And so we're doing the same type of event that we did just a few years ago, but it really just goes to show just how much we've unraveled in even just a few short years. You know, Brandon Strzok, excellent point. Because uh, I remember, I think you guys did this event in the city, and back then we were arguing about capitalism versus socialism, right? <laughs> and free yeah. speech. Yeah. And things that, you know, seemed like the hot-button issues of the day. And you're right. Now we're talking about what is going on. Boys are, you know, being um, uh, injected into girls' sports. I just came from a varsity awards dinner because my daughter is an athlete. And, and you know, th- thankfully there wasn't any anybody that was you know stealing somebody's thunder by by doing that but it's just amazing to me that one would think that that's okay and that okay let's say one person thinks it's okay how do we get all these people to think that that, that's okay or even the stuff with target which is kind of how i started this conversation where they're they're selling this children's clothes and again i think if you want a specialty item and and I'm, i'm not telling people what they can or can't sell but this is just a matter of fact here you, you go to a, a Target, and there's lots of things you can buy. I don't know how many people, and you tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, 
But I'm going to guess that a very small number of people are going to Target to buy a child-sized one-piece bathing suit designed with a female design, but designed with um, the tuck-friendly design for male genitalia. Would you agree? I would agree. And I would also say a lot of people don't mention this that much, but they should be. So in this over-bloated pride section, which, by the way, they put right at the front of the store. And, you know, I'll, I'll make a secondary point here that this is the only, uh, as far as I'm aware of, it's the only kind of seasonal thing that they put right at the front of the store, whether it's Christmas, whether it's Halloween, whether it's Valentine's Day. They always have sort of a seasonal section towards the back. But pride is the only thing that they want to make sure that the moment you walk through the door, you see it. It's the first thing that you see and you're assaulted by it. But the other point that I want to make is, and not a lot of people are talking about, in this pride section, it's not just clothing. It's not just even baby clothing or baby onesies or whatever. They also have things like, uh, uh, like, like a gingerbread house for pride um, and like little toys and games. I mean, very much child-targeted things, candy, pride candy. So, I mean, these are things that are absolutely, undeniably being targeted towards kids. Now, listen, and I want to make clear to your audience, I'm a gay man. I'm an openly gay man. I'm not trying to not be a gay man. So that, you know, it's not like I'm, you know, one of these people's like, oh, I used to be gay and now I'm reformed. No, not at all. But I do recognize there is an agenda happening here. And that's what, that's what concerns me so much because my community, as well as many other types of minority communities, are being used by the left to usher in these different agendas that I think are very much designed to assault and, and target the fabric of American families and American culture and American values. And there's no reason that I can think of whatsoever that a, a pride agenda needs to be delivered in the form of children's candy and children's toys and things like that. It makes no sense if there's not, uh, this is predatory. Bottom line, it's predatory. Yeah, let's leave it right there. We're coming back with Brandon Strzok. Uh, Brandon Strzok, founder of the Walk Away Campaign. Make sure you check them out. Give them a follow as well. We're coming straight back. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, 800-4-VALDEZ is the phone number if you want to chime in on this. We're coming back with Brandon Strzok to continue this conversation on the LGBTQ culture wars. Don't go anywhere. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Rich Valdez. 
In congressional hearings, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs has repeatedly defended the department against accusations of being too woke, an issue he says is exaggerated. We're about fighting and winning on battlefields, uh, and we're all about readiness. Uh, we're all about readiness now and readiness in the future and modernization. I think the accusations of woke are, are, are grossly over-exaggerated. Now, that's uh, General Mark Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, saying that it's uh, grossly exaggerated. But, of course, this is damage control because he was embarrassed, uh, as well as uh, Lloyd Austin was embarrassed, the Secretary of Defense, by Congressman Matt Gates in a hearing when he asked him about drag queen performances on military bases and why this was uh, being, you know, uh, sponsored by the military. They didn't know what to, it was, uh, 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 nobody knew anything. So obviously they were embarrassed by that. And in retrospect, they have now ordered no drag shows on military bases after this, uh, fallout, which was interesting. And that happened just about a week ago. Now you fast forward a little bit and you see that the drag queens are not just being used to read story time, uh, in, in libraries and in in certain uh, pre-K and kindergarten classrooms in New York city that we found out to the tune of 400 K uh, over X amount of years, uh, but they're also being used um, for all-age drag shows all over the country where they turn into political rallies. And Democrats joined with uh, a female impersonator, a, a drag queen, at a pride party recently to rally far-left progressive voters for Arizona's upcoming elections. So I think the word that Brandon Strzok used right before we went to the break, predatory, uh, seems to be the, the right word to describe this type of behavior because I've never seen anything like this. Welcome back, Brenda Struck. Hey, thank you. So w- what's your take on this? Because uh, it seems to me that we saw this happen. If, if you were African-American, black people became the, the pawn of Democrats uh, in 2020 where anything and everything uh, became racial, right? Everything was racialized. And, and I don't think that's changed much, but I think we're seeing it uh, kind of evolve into pride. And everything is about pride and pride parties and and focusing on children. And it, it just it, it seems to be a snowball effect where it's getting worse and worse. And by worse, I mean, this isn't about liberty. This isn't about being proud of one's sexual identity. It isn't about any of those things. It seems to be like it's a recruitment effort for small children. Well, and it is, I, I mean, and yes, and it is. And it, and for several different reasons. So first of all, I mean, by getting in there, I think in, and in, indoctrinating little kids and, and targeting little kids with this message of, you know, LGBTQI plus uh, positivity or, you know, pride, um, pride agenda, things like that essentially what they're doing is sort of normalizing this culture early on for little kids, knowing that this will become ingrained in them. And eventually, you know, they're going to kind of lock in that they will become liberal minded kids who will become liberal minded Democrats at some point. But the other part of this too, and I'm really glad that you brought up the thing about 2020 and the black community and, uh, you know, black lives matter and, and that whole thing that happened what they're also trying to do more than anything is make us hate each other and, and, mm-hmm. and, and continue on the division that exists in this country because, you know, they, they desperately want, I'm sure you've heard when people say, you know, uh, racism is, is, uh, is something for which there's great demand, but very little supply. 
And the same thing is kind of true of homophobia and things these days are, are anti-gay sentiments. There just isn't much anymore in this country, in this part of the world. But what they need to do is inflame people's senses so much that they can actually create those feelings where they don't exist. I mean, by pushing the Black Lives Matter agenda in our faces all throughout 2020 and telling anybody who stood up to you know, people who were breaking into gated communities and breaking windows and burning property and destroying property, but then saying, well, if you stand up for yourself, if you defend yourself or if you defend your property, you're the bad guy. Well, of course it started creating these incredibly hostile, intense feelings. And now they're doing the exact same thing by pushing all of this pride stuff and all of this LGBT stuff on, you know, what I think people feel uh, the most protective of is children, little kids, especially their own children. So then, you know, now they're telling people, well, you're a bigot. You know, see, we we always knew you were anti-gay. We always knew the right was anti-gay. And now you're just proving that to us. No, we're not anti-gay. We're not anti-lesbian. We're not anti-LGBT. What we are is protective of the innocence of little kids and that this has no place in school curriculums or in the department store, toddler departments of, of stores and, and things like this. It's not appropriate. And, and the same thing we saw recently at the, the Dodgers game with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. Oh. You're not, it doesn't make you anti-gay or homophobic if you object to men who are dressed like nuns with satanic makeup on uh, receiving some sort of lifetime achievement award. It's absurd. And that's it, I don't know if you saw the story today that uh, CNN was posting that the Human Rights Campaign, which is a you know a pro LGBT equality organization, extremely far left, extremely you know fringe leftist organization at this point, declared a national state of emergency <laughs> for the LGBT community. <laughs> Literally How said, this is funny. one of the. I was just thinking, I was Go like, ahead. what's the state of emergency? I, I would understand. You know, I, when I was a kid, They're I remember out of in money. the village. <laughs> yeah. Well, the issue back there, there was gay bashing, right? In the village back in the 1980s, it, it was dangerous. People were, were getting assaulted. But today, Target is literally rolling out the red carpet and, and pride is everywhere you go. What, what kind of state of emergency could there really be, Brandon Strzok? The state of emergency is that they're running out of money. These organizations like the Human Rights Campaign, like the NAACP, like GLAP, these are all businesses that I, I, it's the oppression industry. They're all arms of the oppression industry. This is big money. These people like Al Sharpton and and all of these race hustlers and all of these equality hustlers, these people are making six, seven hundred thousand dollars a year in these executive positions and organizations like the human rights campaign. And there's many of them. I, I, it's like the top 30, top 40 executives are all making over two, $300,000 a year. Some of them making millions of dollars a year. They're out of a job. If, if they can't continue to convince people that uh, human rights are in danger, that minority rights are in danger. So they have to make this stuff up. Here's the thing. We live in an age where people read headlines and become incensed and go crazy and start sharing and reacting. Most people don't read the article anymore. And if you read the article, what you'll find, as I did, believe me, it made me sick to my stomach, but I read the CNN article. 
And what I found is what they're talking about is the state of emergency is that there is more, according to them, more anti-LGBTQI laws and initiatives being put forward than ever before. Well, what are these anti-LGBTQIA laws? Well, there are things like uh, pronoun laws, that there are certain you know, states and areas that are trying to enact laws that say that we don't have to use pronouns that are outside of the gender binary or uh, drag queen show restrictions for children. This is now what is being called a state of emergency. Oh, my God, we might not be able to do a drag performance for a seven-year-old. This is a state of emergency. Oh, my God, you know, it might not be illegal to uh, – you. someone may not be able to sue you if you don't refer to them by they, them pronouns or these, their mm-hmm. pronouns. This is a state of emergency. This is nonsense. I mean, it's, uh, it's Brandon Strzok, I just want to add, I think most egregiously – um, what um, sparked some of this is that there are states saying if you're a minor, a legal minor, you can't get surgery to change your genitalia or, or your sex or however uh, the gender affirming care, as they call it. You can't get that without mm-hmm. parental consent. And and there are people advocating for children to get that without uh, letting their parents know. And I think this is a huge deal and has nothing to do with anybody's sexuality it has everything to do with just the law of parents and minors, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's the, the point here is that, I mean, there was, there was a time when, when we talked about, you know, a, a state of emergency, which by the way, I don't think they've ever declared. I think the human rights campaign even acknowledged that in 40 years, they've never declared a state of emergency. But my God, they didn't even declare a state of emergency during the AIDS crisis, uh, you know, or at the, the periods in our history where, you know, gay people really weren't even safe to be able to walk in certain neighborhoods without fear of being gay bashed or beaten. But now suddenly it's a state of emergency. Uh, yeah, if we can't mutilate a, a, a child's body or if we can't perform a, a raunchy drag show in front of elementary school children. I mean, th- this is where these people are. It's a sick place to be, folks. Well, I'm with Brandon Strzok, and uh, if you missed it earlier, he was uh, referring to himself as as gay, and he wants to remain gay. <laughs> he thinks these practices are predatory. <laughs> He's the founder of the Walk Away campaign and um, walked away from the Democrat Party and what he called lies from the media. Uh, it's an amazing story. Check out their website as well. We're coming back with them. We're going to wrap up in a moment. But if you have a question or a comment, feel free to give us a call. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833 valdez that's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. Target again. Their market cap is down over $13 billion amidst the pride backlash. 
And to their rescue come 200 LGBTQ groups that are demanding that Target restock their Pride merchandise and release a statement now saying there's no such thing as neutrality, meaning you're either with us or you're not. (laughs) Of course, there was a state of emergency issued by the Human Rights Campaign Uh, That happened earlier today. Here's a quote on that. LGBTQ plus Americans are living in a state of emergency. The The multiplying threats facing millions in our community are not just perceived. They are real, tangible, and dangerous. And that's according to the group's president, Kelly Robinson, in the statement that was released today. Uh, Our guest is Brandon Strzok, S-T-R-A-K-A, like Straka, silent A. Brandon Strzok, who is the founder of the Walkaway Campaign. And uh, he's fired up. He's telling us about everything that's going on. Brandon Strzok, um, tell us what's going on with the uh, event, the LGBTQ uh, town hall that you're going to be conducting uh, in New York City. Yes, and thank you. And by the way, I'm Googling that woman's salary right now as we're speaking. Kelly Robinson, (laughs) how much money do you make? I'm looking. Um, so, uh, yes. So the walk away campaign, um, we're, we're pretty known for doing minority focused events and we're coming back to New York city for our, Ooh, I think it's our fourth or our fifth minority town hall. This one's going to be for the LGBT community. We're actually doing it pride month, um, or excuse me, uh, pride weekend. So this is June 24th, Saturday. Here's the thing, and somebody right before, while we were on this commercial break, I was reading some of my social media messages, and somebody said to me, "My, I so want to come to your LGBT town hall, and I want to bring my boyfriend, you know, but we're a straight couple. Can we come? Yes, absolutely. So listen, anybody, if you're in the New York City area, because listen, this is we have to do this. We have to work as a team. This is a community effort. Uh, it's going to require. LGBT people, it's going to require straight people. We have to come together because the truth is we're not fighting the LGBT. We're fighting this Marxist agenda that I think has really, uh, really hijacked these minority communities. And so in my Mm -hmm. mind, the best way to fight back is to get people who are members of this community, get some LGBT people together on a panel, people who have walked away from the Democratic Party, who have walked away from the lies of the leftist media, and who have walked away from this Marxist agenda to talk to our own community and say, it is time to stand up for America and stand up for American values and the American family. And we have to come together as a community to do that. And that's something for straight people and LGBT people to come together. And so I I really, really, really want to encourage anybody out there, if you're anywhere in the New York City area, please come attend our event. You can find out, you can go to walkawaycampaign.com slash events, click on events, and uh, you can get tickets or you can make a contribution if you can't make it. Please, uh, you know, any donations that help us do these events, we can do more of this around the country and get this word out. But more than anything, we want people in New York to come out and support. So, yeah, again, that's walkawaycampaign.com slash events. Yeah. I want you to also let everybody know that this is not an LGBTQ organization per se, that you, there's a lot of work that you're doing. You did a lot of work around January 6th, of course, as you were um, wrongly, uh, wrongfully incarcerated. Uh, and, and there's a number of things you do outreach in Hispanic community, outreach in the African American community. Um, tell everybody, um, give them, I guess the best understanding of, you know, um, I think it's always good to retell your story. Uh, while many have heard you on the program before, I think some people might be hearing you for the first time and may not know why you walked away, what walk away is and what you do. 
Yeah, for sure. Thank you. So yeah, it's not an LGBT organization at all, although that's one of the communities that we do outreach for. I walked away from the Democratic Party in 2017, um, somewhere shortly after Trump took office. I voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016. I was devastated when Donald Trump won the election. And what it did was sent me on a journey to try to understand two things. Why would anyone vote for a man who was as awful as the media told me that Donald Trump was? And also, how did the media that I trusted get the election so wrong? Because they guaranteed me that Hillary Clinton was going to win. And I went on a months and months long journey of research that ultimately Mm -hmm. showed me that it was not Donald Trump that was my problem. It was the media that I was trusting that was my problem. I was being lied to and deceived and manipulated. And I mentioned earlier in this interview that I'm a gay man. Well, I started to see, too, they're lying to all of us. But if you're a minority, if you're black or brown or or LGBT, they're lying to us, I think, even more uh, egregiously and more in a more targeted way and really controlling us as groups to control the way that we feel and the way we think and the way that we vote. And that's the reason why when I walked away and I created this organization, Walk Away, I, I didn't I wanted to put a special focus on minority mm-hmm. communities. Number one, because I think they're being uh, manipulated and targeted heavier by the Democrats. Brandon, I don't want to jump in, but I want you to give them the website once or twice because we're about to run out of time in the segment. (laughs) Well, you're the one who asked me to tell the story. I do. No, no, I just give them the website. We'll come back and we'll finish it up. (laughs) You got it. Walkawaycampaign.com slash events for our um, this event coming up. And we also have our own social platform now, Walkaway Social. And that's walkawaysocial.com if people want to join the movement and share their stories. All right, we're going to put a finer point on it straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Welcome back. Uh, we were on with Brandon Strzok, and um, the radio clock is always uh, so rude to cut people off. Brandon Strzok, uh, go ahead and finish your thought and let everybody know how they can um, follow your work. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if they want to be a part of the testimonial campaign and the walkaway community, and that's even for people who uh, just are supporting those who walk away, they need to join our new social platform. It's called Walkaway Social. It's available in the Google Play Store and the Apple App Store, or you can access it on the web at walkawaysocial.com, which will also redirect you to the apps. So I'd encourage everyone to get on Walkaway Social. And for anyone in New York who wants to come out and support our event, please go to walkawaycampaign.com slash events. It's on June 24th at 3 o'clock p.m. New York City. I'd love to see everyone in New York there. And if you can't come, please make a contribution to help support uh, financially for the for that event. And that's walkawaycampaign.com slash event. Outstanding. Brandon Strzok, thanks for being here with us. Keep up the good work. Godspeed to you, my friend. Thanks, Rich. Great talking with you. You bet. All right, folks. There's more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. We're going to continue our discussion on where's the beef? What's going on with the cost of a steak lately? We got the founder of Chili's Restaurant Tour, Larry Levine, up next.
Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and our telephone number. If you want to join our late-night national town hall forum, we're live, and your calls are welcomed. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, a couple of uh, quick things in the news. Listen to this. So a federal appeals court has upheld a block of the Biden administration's migrant release policy known as the catch and release policy, where they're just allowing migrants to be released into their own recognizance as long as they register for a court date in an app called CBP one. Well, an appeals court had said, uh, no, you can't do that. You've actually got to do the work. And uh, they relitigated that. And again, uh, upheld that same block today. In other news, on the Biden front, uh, Hunter Biden was ordered to appear in court in July and has been warned that he faces jail time for allegedly concealing his finances in a current child support case. So uh, that's what's going on there. Then listen to this. The um, the government in Ireland has put forth a proposal to slaughter 200,000 cows to meet European Union climate change goals. That, of course, sparked some outrage from PETA, the uh, animal rights group, calling the climate change plan that kills 200,000 cows ridiculous, saying that government kill squads won't help climate change. And that brings me to the question, right? And the question is, why is steak getting pricier? Well, hamburgers, steaks, and uh, pretty much any other beef product is already near record level prices and they're set to get more expensive. The culprit, well, it's a rapidly shrinking supply of cattle. Years of droughts and the pandemic disruptions, not to mention uh, some taxes that uh, were added on to uh, cattle farmers. And voila, here we have a problem, bringing the number of cattle in the U.S. to its lowest level in nearly a decade. Listen to this. U.S. beef production is on track to drop by more than 2 billion pounds in 2024. That's the largest annual decline since 1979. That's 44 years. And that's according to the Department of Agriculture. So the question becomes, where's the beef? Now, you remember, where's the beef? There was that uh, funny commercial from Wendy's back in the day. Hey, where's the beef? And, of course, this one is a, a classic where there's a song about baby back ribs. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back, baby back ribs, baby back ribs. And, of course, that was from the Chili's commercial where they want their baby back ribs. And speaking of Chili's, we've got the founder of Chili's with us. He's our guest this evening. 
Larry Levine, his legendary restaurateur. He's the founder of Chili's, and he's launched a couple of other uh, restaurant topics, uh, concepts, excuse me, over the course of his career. His latest concept is Loop 9 BBQ. Larry Levine, welcome to the program. Good evening. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So let's uh, let's talk about the price of beef. Uh, what is going on? Well, I think you summed it up with, with uh, the shrinking herds of beef. I know more about the buy side than the supply side, but my beef suppliers tell me, you know, the drought is just, they can't make money because uh, they can't pay for the feed. So I think that's where it starts, uh, that, uh, you know, that, that everything's up for everybody, but the fuel's up and the fertilizer's up. But the drought, I think, is the, is the big culprit here. Yeah, no question. You, you you can't raise cattle if you can't feed the cattle. That's, That's for sure. Right. Now, you being um you know well well versed in in business and well versed in restaurants in particular in businesses that sell beef uh like Chili's and and this new um Loop 9 barbecue. Tell us how you see this going for your colleagues in in the food service business. Uh, is this going to wipe out people in, that are making their living this way? Do you think this is just a bubble that's got to pass? What say you? I, I don't think it's a bubble. I think, you know, if, if I used to sell hamburgers for $8 and now I have to sell them for $12, I don't think I'm going back to 8 I don't see everybody moving backwards. Hopefully it's going to slow down. I think everybody's just going to have to adjust to higher prices. What we don't know is if... Uh, I went out to dinner and ate a hamburger every three weeks with the price up, you know, 30 or 40%. Do I now wait six weeks before I have more? So we'll just have to wait and see on that. If the consumer is going to slow down a little bit, and uh, there, there are some indicators that that is going to happen. Yeah. Well, this is a scary time of life. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, there were some folks out there that were sounding the alarm saying, look, this year for July 4th, you're not going to have any beef. There's going to be no hamburgers, maybe just hot dogs, maybe just chicken, but you're definitely not going to have any hamburgers uh, because even a few years ago, this had begun. There were weather conditions and I guess a little bit of a slowdown in beef, but it seems to have continued. And if if this isn't a bubble and it's not going to pass and it's, you're saying it's a fixture of just adjusting your costs and and figuring out how to do it, does this, in your opinion, keep smaller mom-and-pop operators that maybe wanted to open a, a burger spot or something like that, something small to, to make a living for them and their families, does this prevent them from getting into the marketplace, uh, or is it just one additional barrier that they eventually will overcome? What do you think? Oh, I think, you know, those entrepreneurs like you described, I think they can still get in. They're just going to have to raise prices like everybody else. They can't. Even if you're small, you still have to pay the, uh, the, the inflated prices to be competitive. You're going to have to price the, the product higher. But I think there's, there's always room for uh, another great concept. All right, Larry Levine, I want you to uh, Levine, excuse me, I want you to stick around with us. I'd like to pick your brain a little bit on how you got into the restaurant business. And why you stuck around. I know a lot of people say it's a great business, but it's a tough one and it has some of the highest turnover we've ever seen. So uh, maybe you can give us a couple of tips on everybody who wants to get into the game. Folks, we're on with Larry Levine. You know his uh, 
projects, previous concepts like Chili's, and he's got a new one called Loop 9 BBQ. We're going to learn about that as well. Straight ahead, don't go anywhere. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to it. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our guest is Larry Levine. He's a legendary restaurateur. He's the founder of Chili's. And Larry Levine, I'd love to get your take on what what's your story like did you always know you wanted to get into the restaurant business or was it something that just happened by happenstance? Now, uh, I, I a childhood friend, my one of my best friends and I talked, talked about doing a little burger concept for years and, uh, uh, just simple, uh, menu of burgers and fries at the time there was only, there weren't casual restaurants like there are now. There was, diners and, and white tablecloths. There wasn't much in the middle, and we were kind of early on the curve for that. So our goal was to build a little neighborhood restaurant just serving a very simple menu of hamburgers and fries. And uh, our, our challenge was we thought we, we could sell hamburgers at lunch pretty easy, but we needed to make sure that we built the, the atmosphere where people would uh, frequent it at night and, and build an experience where they'd have a good uh visit at night and so it, it was important to us to have the right lighting and sound and, and seating and fortunately it caught on how did you come up with that formula you know would you sit there and figure out like i want like a uh, a bar vibe um, a kind of a home cooked vibe how did you determine that look and that feel to create that experience well we had a bar but it was not a bar we were really just a sandwich place that was our, our goal was to serve a, a great half pound burger there weren't or wasn't a, a burger shop like there is on every corner in dallas now but it, it was really just to have really great food whether it was a hamburger or french fries everything was made from scratch and we were really proud of the food we served it was simple but it was it was uh, high quality and that uh, fortunately that caught on and you said it was you and your buddy how old were you guys when that happened was this something uh from your youth something from your young adulthood teenage years yeah we were we're in our 30s we were in our 30s and uh uh we we had talked about it for a long time until the location came up that that fit it it was everybody told us it was a little too far north of town but fortunately they were wrong and it turned out to be a great location and folks wrong with larry levine he's the founder of chili's he's also got a new concept called Loop 9 BBQ. Tell us about the new concept and how it's different from what we already know in Chili's. Uh, well, this is a barbecue house. I've done another. This is the second barbecue restaurant I've done. It's at a new project called the Epic in Grand Prairie, a suburb of Dallas. And uh, it's all premium barbecue. Uh, in Texas, you judge a barbecue place by how their brisket is. So we really work hard to turn out a great brisket and all the sausage and ribs and turkey and everything that goes with it but people in, in texas they like barbecue and we try to give them uh, the best product we can yeah that sounds good to me i'm ready to check it out now 
tell me how, um, I guess, what's one of the top lessons you've learned uh, being in the restaurant business? Because I know so many people get into the restaurant business and they usually say, you know, see if they're around in five years because that's that magic number where most people end up failing in the restaurant business. What's your secret to success? Well, I think you first have to have a valid concept. You know, it, Chili's, of course, after 40-something years has proven that it's valid. So uh, uh, you have a valid concept that it's not a fad. And then the next and most important thing is the team that you've got to uh, run the restaurants. And I was really fortunate for the first uh, 8 or 10 or 12 people that I hired, executives. They did a great job, and we had a great family experience, and everybody's was passionate about turning out a quality product and our one goal was just to build more restaurants. So I was really fortunate with that. And I've learned that the uh, bad management can run a, a great restaurant in the ground in 30 days. So you really need to have great managers and, and you have to treat the, the, the staff, right? I'm a big believer in having a great company culture. We had a great culture at Chili's, which they still do today. And you have to work every day to, show your employees that you care about them and respect them and listen to them and give them an opportunity for growth. And it's more important today than it ever has been to have a great company culture. Now, Larry Levine, I think I've heard from, from other uh, restaurant operators and food service professionals that, you know, you can have a great chef, a great cook, a great back of house, but you need an equally good front of house in order to, to operate, uh, to be a good operator. And it seems right. like you're saying the same thing. How do you tie that in, both having a good front of house, good back of house, and how do you tie that into creating this corporate culture you're talking about in the company? Well, from the from one side, the manager is what controls everything. They're what we call a general manager for the restaurant. He's the one that, that uh, screens all the employees, uh, takes care of the training plan, helps build the culture every day. And so it, 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 for a restaurant to be successful, the general manager is, is the one leading the charge. And, and you, if he has to do a great job, if you're going to have a successful restaurant, uh, we encourage the managers to work every day to, to build a great company culture, because that really makes a difference. You know, with this, if, uh, in today's every retail store from a cleaner to a restaurant, got a sign out that says they're looking for help. And, if you don't treat your help right and show them how much you love them and uh, respect them and communicate with them, then they'll go across the street and get a job in another five minutes. So we work very hard at trying to build a, a great company culture and work at it every day. Now, Larry Levine, in the last couple of years, we've seen a, a huge slowdown in 2020 because of COVID-19, which lasted, I would say, about two years. Um are you seeing an uptick in business now, like you're getting back to pre-pandemic levels, or do you feel you're yeah. still um, still um, trying to get there? No, in Dallas, we're, we're above it. I mean, the, for some restaurants didn't make it, so there's fewer restaurants. And there was, I think there's still some hangover, pent-up demand that I couldn't go out for a year or two, and now I'm going to make up for it. So the <laughs> casual and, and fast casual restaurants in Dallas are doing more business than they ever have. It's there was an article in the paper a couple of months ago that there's scalpers that sell restaurant reservations in Dallas. If you can't get into a restaurant, you buy scalpers reservations. So, you know, the restaurant, wow. the, the scene in Dallas, is, is it's better than it has been for years. Now, um, with respect to the, to the barbecue place, 
you mentioned earlier it's about creating a good bis- brisket and and of course right. that, that sounds really good <laughs> but um is is there more to it uh, is it different drastically than the burger concept or is it just different types of food but ultimately the same type of um business plan well it's, yeah basically the same business plan the the difference with barbecue is uh you, most of it it's all cooked ahead you can't it takes 12 or 14 hours to cook a brisket so you have to anticipate what's going to happen tomorrow and make that prediction today as opposed to a hamburger restaurant if it's slow and raining outside you know that you're going to be slower but with with a barbecue business you have to predict uh what what you think the day is going to be the next day and we try to buy a premium product and treat it right and cook it on an old wood fire and take all the steps necessary to really turn out a great product but uh, the barbecue business is not hard once you learn how to do it but you have to follow some steps and, and be very faithful to treating the product with, with the respect so you can turn out a great product. Now, Larry Levine, founder of Chili's, um, with a few moments that we have left, I'd like you to share with the audience um, what's the, the best piece of advice or top two tips, if you will, uh, for somebody that's looking to get into the restaurant business. Uh, give us the golden rule. Well, uh, uh, what I said before, you got to have a valid concept. Now, you never know what's going to work. Uh, you, the Nashville chicken that, that's white hot all over the country now, there, there's opportunity for that. So uh, you, you have to find out what niche you're going to be in and turn out a quality product, have a great team, and you have to be very consistent. The, the public doesn't average good and, and, and bad that, uh restaurant experience they expect the same thing every time so and that's one of the reasons Chili's works is you can go into Chili's in Dallas or Houston or Paris and you're going to get the same product every time so you've got to uh, set up the systems and procedures and the team that are going to turn out a, a consistent product every time consistency 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 uh, I hear that Larry Levine excuse me uh, legendary restaurateur, founder of Chili's, and also the his latest concept, Loop 9 BBQ. Sir, I want to thank you for joining us and making us all very, very hungry <laughs> and for oh, sharing your wisdom with us. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. You bet. Godspeed to you, sir. Happy uh, early Father's Day. All right. We're going to continue straight ahead with uh, your calls and more. Plus... We're going to reflect on D-Day. Of course, it is D-Day military historian for Hillsdale College, Mark Moyar. He's coming up next, so don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-482-5337. Or, of course, you can check us out at richvaldezamericatnight.com. Don't go anywhere, and don't move a muscle. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. And, of course, today is the 79th anniversary, if I'm not mistaken, of D-Day. And uh, we spoke about that a little bit earlier in in playing the comments from President Ronald Reagan. Uh, But it was that valiant day, right, where um, the American soldiers famously stormed the beaches of Normandy, France, in World War II. And, of course, we salute them. And as we look back at that, we we have to, um, I guess, pause, right, and really reflect on that. And I, I felt who better than Hillsdale College's military historian Mark Moyer to uh, Moyer, excuse me, to join us and discuss D Day and some of the other trending topics um, that I'd like to him to discuss. Mark Moyer, welcome. Hey, great to be with you. Yes, sir. So let's. Um, I know you've uh, written the book on Vietnam, Triumph Regained, the Vietnam War, 1965 to 1968. We discussed that previously on this program. But I'd like Mm -hmm. for you to discuss with us um, your reflections on on D-Day as only a military historian could. Yeah, so it is one of the, if not the greatest days in uh, U.S. military history and it's a reminder of why we need to remember our past and especially our military history, which in much of the country is, is fallen out of fashion, uh, which is which is a great shame. But you know, to put it in historical context, you know, the United States came out of a period of isolation, the time of Pearl Harbor, and you know, initially there was a lot of emphasis on the Pacific theater, and and the British were trying to encourage the United States to avoid taking Hitler on directly. They wanted to go to North Africa and Italy and uh, to limit their casualties. But but eventually Franklin Roosevelt figured out that we couldn't uh, just keep beating around the periphery and that uh, the Soviets were pushing from the other side. So the United States comes up and mobilizes this incredible amount of resources to, uh, to take on uh, occupied France and does it really in, in a brilliant way. Now, I feel like all too often uh, D-Day goes overlooked and we forget about what really happened or how it happened. And for me, this Mm -hmm. came alive. I once spoke with the son of someone that um, was was there and made it back home and shared a little bit with his son. And it it, it impressed upon his son and he shared those stories with me and it, it made for riveting conversation. And I'm wondering, um, from from your um, knowledge of the topic, um, what was that day like for those that were on the front lines on uh, Omaha Beach? You know, many of which felt, I guess, were marching towards their almost certain death. Yeah. So the there were five beaches that were scheduled, and uh, the. You know, perhaps greatest um, strategic stroke for the United States was that they convinced the Germans they were going to land someplace else in, in uh, Catapale, which was to the east. And so that drew a lot of the German forces away. But there were very strong German forces at Omaha Beach. And, you know, I think probably... You know, the best way to think of what happened is just watch the you know opening scene in Saving Private Ryan. I think that kind of uh, you know 
says it better than anything that um, you know, as soon as the the landing craft uh, hit the beach, they're getting hit by German machine gun fire and artillery, and uh, you know, very very heavy casualties suffered. And um, you know, it was so bad initially that um, General Omar Bradley thinks about actually calling off the mission, uh, but uh, you know, eventually they're able to get enough men ashore to fight the Germans and some of them scale, uh, the American Rangers scale the cliffs at Point de Hawk and uh, overwhelm the German defenders there. And uh, it, um, you know, but certainly um, this is not a foregone conclusion that this was, was all going to go well. And, and uh, you know, ha- had things gone, been gone slower at Omaha Beach, you know, the U.S. whole invasion would have been in big trouble because you know, things ultimately, once they get ashore, don't go as as rapidly as hoped. All right, folks, let me remind you that we're on with Mark Moyer. He's a military historian at Hillsdale College uh, discussing his reflections on D-Day. We're going to continue with him straight ahead, plus your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back. It is Rich Valdez. Thank you for being with us this evening. And our guest is Mark Moyer. He's the author of Triumph Regained. You can check him out at markmoyer.com. And he's the military historian at Hillsdale College. Uh, We have a caller from St. Cloud, Minnesota, KNST. Rick, welcome. You're on with Mark Moyer and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I'm read once that Eisenhower had prepared a statement in case the landing failed. And I'm wondering if that's true and if there were actual plans in case it really went bad. Okay, Rick, thank you. Mark Moyer? Yes, that, that is correct that um, that he did produce such a letter. And, um, you know, because we, we tend to kind of, from hindsight, just assume that uh, you know everybody knew this would succeed, but uh, you know, highlights the fact that this was in, in fact a very risky and dangerous um, you know, undertaking. And uh, you know, even though they get the troops ashore, you know they still need to. You know, most of the invasion force doesn't get in on D-Day, so they've got to hold land and hold the Germans back. And the Germans do amass forces; they're able to destroy the nearest port and. Uh, Unfortunately, American air power slows down the German uh, advance, and they also keep the Germans from uh, moving all their troops from the the diversionary site. Uh, And then, you know, we see something similar during the Battle of the Bulge, where initially the Germans are so successful that Eisenhower makes uh, contemplates and makes preparations for pulling back 
um, and retreating. Uh, but again, in that case, eventually the Americans are able to prevail and and uh, and move forward. All right. Thank you, Mark Moyer. Rick, thank you for your call. And I feel uh, ultimately that with um, D-Day in, in hindsight, um, I feel like there isn't very much emphasis or not enough emphasis on these remembrances. Um, am I alone in that feeling, Mark Moyer, or do you agree? I agree. I mean, I think... Um and again, if somebody thought the time was spending in Vietnam, you know, during the Vietnam War, we saw for the first time this um, loss of interest and in some cases, you know, active contempt for American veterans. And, you know, I don't think we've ever fully recovered from that. Now, you know, we you know, in recent times have, you know, Americans have been more respectful of uh, veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan. Um uh, but, you know, those two conflicts also very controversial and, uh, you know, you don't hear many people talking at all about honoring, you know, those veterans these days. And, and there is a general, um, you know, in, in significant parts of the country, especially the urban areas, um, the, uh, you know, there's this general loss of interest in the military. And I think people kind of take it for granted and don't really understand the importance of our military. Yeah, well said. Uh, folks, we're on with Mark Moyer, and uh, we've got a call from Pharrell. He's calling from New Kensington, Pennsylvania on KDKA. Pharrell, welcome. You're on with Mark Moyer and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. No, that's Daryl, actually. Um, I'd, I'd like to comment on I'm 62, and when I was a kid, uh, these these World War II veterans used to come in our family business, and they were just like regular guys, you know, Smaller guys, because back then there was there was uh, everybody was like five eight or five nine, and and they were just you know real, you know humble, not you know nothing, you know, and, and they're still around. And I'm 62, and they're still here, and that's amazing, you know, that I still get to see them, you know. And I also wanted to comment on how the French really helped during D-Day too, you know, made made uh, uh, blew up railroads or, or anything they could do to disorient the Germans and really help too. And, and I want to make sure that uh, you know, we don't forget about them because a lot of them died doing that. Thank you, Daryl. I appreciate it. Mark Moyer. Yeah. So the, uh, there was, um, you know, certainly the division with among the French between, um, you know, there was an, an active, uh, resistance movement of a lot of them had been uh, rounded up by the Germans ahead of time, but um, mm-hmm. they do become more active as the uh, offensive moves uh, along. And, um, and it is, uh, it is indeed great that there, you know, still are, you know, few veterans out there, you know, unfortunately, you know, the passage of time, most of them, uh, you know, most of the who were at uh, Normandy no longer um, with us, but uh, you know, I think it's, as important as ever that we uh, commemorate them on this day. Yep. Well put folks. Our guest is uh Hillsdale college's military historian, Mark Moyer. He's the author of triumph regained, and you can check him out at markmoyer.com. We're going to continue with him and your call straight ahead. I also want to get his reaction to some of the breaking news 
uh, in the last several hours about the uh, dam in Ukraine, the Kakova, uh, which has now uh, been damaged and there's uh, flooding that's been sparked all over the place. So we're going to discuss that a little bit. And when we come back, 8334-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. We've seen the reports that Russia was responsible for the explosion at the dam, which I would remind Russian forces took over illegally last year and have been occupying since then. We're doing the best we can to assess those reports, and we are working with the Ukrainians to gather more information. But we cannot say conclusively what happened at this point. All right, that's uh, John Kirby uh, giving a statement today with uh, respect to the bombing of a dam, the Kakova Dam, which was destroyed in an attack. Uh, they believe Russia has done this um, in an attack on Ukraine. Uh, folks, our guest is Hillsdale College military historian Mark Moyer, and he's the author of Triumph Regained. You can check him out at markmoyer.com. Mark Moyer, we've often heard that those who um, don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And I remember during the, I guess it was the Obama administration, we saw Russia making advances to to reclaim what was once um, part of the Russian Empire, um, in effect, Crimea. And now uh, with them making more and more um, moves to try and reclaim other parts of Ukraine, um, what's your reaction to, to this dam being um, destroyed and, and flooding, which is now ensuing? Well, I think it's still a bit hard to know for sure who was doing this. You know, the, both the Russians and the Ukrainians came out and blamed each other. And uh, in this country and certainly the Biden administration tends to believe uh, Russia, or excuse me, believe Ukraine and not believe Russia, but we did have the Nord Stream pipeline attacks, which is yeah. a similar deal, which, um, you know, they still don't know who did it in it, but there is now, you know, a lot of evidence suggesting that in fact it was the Ukrainians. So uh, it's hard to know. And just from, you know, news reporting, it seems like both Russia and Ukraine are going to suffer some ill effects from, uh, from this dam breaking. There apparently some Russian troops were killed, although I think, Economically, it seems that it would be more more harmful to uh, Ukraine, but it's uh, you know another I think sad indicator of uh, you know the depths that this war is going to, and you know as it goes on longer, you see both sides resorting to more and more uh, brutal and nasty um, means, and uh, you know I think. Uh, you know, Putin not only quite rises to the level of uh, of Adolf Hitler, he's not going out and attacking everybody, but he um, you know, he has shown himself to do certain things um, and shown a certain level of ruthlessness that we haven't seen. Uh, you know, we didn't see a whole lot of this um, things of this nature from um, the Germans, except when they were 
going into in Eastern Europe, but on the Western Front, we didn't see this sort of thing. All right. And Mark Boyer, I want you to let everybody that's listening know how they can uh, keep up with, to speed with the work that you're doing and uh, learn more about that work. Yes, I've got a website. It's at markmoyer.com. I've got um, postings from uh, books there. And the latest one, as you mentioned, is uh, my uh, second volume of Vietnam War History, um, Triumph Regained. And if people want to get a copy of the book, do they get it at the website, or is there a separate uh, address for that? Um, there's a link. They also go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble, and um, or wherever else they they get their books. Outstanding. Well, folks, give them a follow at Mark Moyer on social media. Mark Moyer, I want to thank you for being with us. Uh, it was insightful conversation. I appreciate your historical analysis, and I hope you'll come back again soon. Great. Thanks for having me on, Rich. You bet. Anytime. All right, folks, we continue with our discussions on D-Day and everything else that we've discussed uh, tonight and in open phones, open phone America tonight. I want to hear if you have a family member that served and was there on D-Day or you know has that close, intimate family story, somebody you knew, a neighbor you once met, I want to hear from you. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 4825337. Let's go to Alice in Atlanta, Georgia on WGKA. Go right ahead. Well, hey, uh, Rich. Uh, my father was in Hola. the Signal Corps, uh, but he was not in the D-Day invasion. However, I did have a friend that was a paratrooper that jumped into France, and he lived, uh, managed to live through World War II, and every year afterward, when they would celebrate uh, like they did yesterday, he'd go over to France and all these guys would jump out of airplanes. Even when he was like 75 years old, he was jumping out of an airplane. Wow. So I, it never leaves, I suppose, um, that feeling of camaraderie and bravery and exhilaration at having won the war. Um but I wanted to ask Mark, but I, I can get in contact with him through Hillsdale, what he knows about the Signal Corps and how, because that was a new branch of the service. Mm. Uh, my father was stationed in France and was part of the communication to the from Eisenhower to the White House. But I, my father would never talk about it. I mean, he yeah. never talked about it. And so I Very don't common. have much information about what he did. He did write up a lot of it uh, toward the end of his life. I haven't read it all, um, but I thought I would send that to Mark to maybe fill in maybe some gaps that he might have as far as what mm -hmm. my father's unit did. It was very small. It was only about a five or six man unit. And um, they landed in France in December, which when it's bitterly cold. Oh, wow. And he said that the first few nights they were there, they were sleeping in an open barn with no roof. Wow. Well, I <laughs> recommend checking them out at markmoyer.com. Alice, thank you for the call on WGKA. Godspeed to you. Thank you for your father's service. And I want to hear from the rest of you. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Open Phone America starts right now. Give us a call. From the city that never sleeps. 
17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be with you on this uh, D-Day as we uh, remember the the sacrifice of of those very brave men and uh, welcoming your calls as well, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Make sure you get your calls in early for open phone, America. Any topic that we've discussed, any topic you want to bring up, Happy to discuss it with you, and we'll get to your calls momentarily. I want to first uh, uh, bring your attention to the 2024 field of candidates because there's a lot of them out there. You've got Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. You've got, uh, let's see who I, I don't want to forget anybody, Senator Tim Scott. You've got, who else am I forgetting? Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, former governor of South Carolina and former ambassador, of course, uh, current governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, and former President Trump. And I feel like I'm forgetting one more, but there's some there's some new ones that have been added to the mix. Larry Elder. How can I forget Larry Elder, an amazing broadcaster and uh, a brilliant conservative mind? Uh, but there are some new ones, some new uh, ex-politicos that are throwing their hats into the ring to continue their public service. Not the least of which is uh, New Hampshire Governor Sununu. Now, days ago, he actually announced the opposite, that he's not getting involved in the presidential race. Listen to this. So uh, we've taken the last six months to really kind of look at things where everything is. And I've made the decision not to run for president on the Republican ticket in 2024. Obviously, a lot goes into that decision, but um, it's been quite an adventure, but not the end of the adventure by any means. Now, that wasn't all Governor Sununu had to say, because while he's out of the uh, running for president, he's still quite involved in presidential politics. Uh, He was on MSNBC just yesterday saying that. Donald Trump does not represent the Republican Party. Check this out. Don, it's not that we're, we're there out there to beat Donald Trump. Donald Trump doesn't represent the Republican Party, right? He's the outsider. And we've kind of let him get away with kind of co-opting, I think, what, what are tra- better traditional ideals of the Republican Party of limited government and local control. He wants to relitigate the past. And if we're going to be successful in the Republican Party, we've got to move forward in the future. So I think Chris is a, is a very good candidate. I think they're all really good candidates. They're all my friends. I think there's a lot to play out. We haven't even had a debate yet. So uh, we're going to see who can take a punch, who can give a punch, who can really stand on that stage and make the case of America's future, not just worrying about litigating the past. Now, of course, Governor Sununu is talking about former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie when he refers to Chris, because Governor Chris Christie has announced his run for president of the United States. Listen to this. So I'll say to you tonight that I can't guarantee you success in what I'm about to do. But I guarantee you that at the end of it, You will have no doubt in your mind who I am and what I stand for and whether I deserve it. So that's why I came back to St. Anselm's 
And that's why I came back to Manchester. And that's why I came back to New Hampshire to tell all of you that I intend to seek the Republican nomination for President of the United States in 2024, and I want your support. Now, of course, he's not alone, and there's another such announcement coming from Vice, former Vice President Mike Pence, who has now filed his paperwork to launch his 2024 Republican presidential campaign. Former VP Mike Pence is running for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, according to an FEC filing. Pence may face an uphill battle to win support of a party that's still largely loyal to former President Donald Trump, as they all are. And Pence's once close uh, alliance with his former boss imploded after he refused to aid Trump's efforts uh, to um, allow states to put forward electors that were chosen by state legislators. Now, I bring all of this up because I, I've, you know, politically speaking, I feel Trump is the guy to beat. Um, when you put on your your pundit hat, right? You look at everybody that's announcing and putting themselves out there, and you've got to ask yourself, what's their angle, right? Some of them may be playing for keeps and they want to win. But for the most part, I feel like some people are saying, hey, you know what? I've got to figure out how I'm going to differentiate myself from Donald Trump and show people that have newer, fresher ideas. And then you have others that are saying, now, my job here is just to soften him up, to just weaken him, to just pound away, you know, and just chip away and chip away at Trump since he is, in fact, the guy to beat. Um, I don't know how that's going to play out. Uh, I can't imagine uh, it's going to be rainbows and sunflowers and whatnot uh, between Chris Christie and uh, Donald Trump. Chris Christie being the uh, governor, former governor of New Jersey. I served in the Christie administration, was in uh, the employee of the administration uh, just as a as a, an aside. And I think Governor Christie is a, an excellent debater. He actually was Trump's debate coach uh, for some time during Trump's presidential debates. So Chris Christie's really good at litigating. He's a good lawyer. He was a, a good governor. First term, second term, I think he did a decent job. There's a couple areas that were questionable. Of course, a lot of people will never let him live down his uh, his hug to um, Barack Obama after delivering Hurricane Sandy aid. Uh, but I do believe that Governor Chris Christie is not only saying it himself, uh, and there's a clip that we have, I'll just read you the transcript of it, but he says <clears throat> that, in in essence, he's there, uh, unlike other GOP candidates, he's there to point out Donald Trump's unsuitability, saying that Trump isn't uh, electable. I think that's what this election will prove, given that everybody has a chance to bring their ideas to the table. Uh, but to just uh, make these blanket statements, I don't think people that are astute political observers that are used to this type of thing uh, are are going to buy it. You know, they're really going to have to make their case. At least those are my two thoughts. So you've got a couple of new people, Chris Christie and Hopefully, maybe tomorrow or the next day, we'll have some audio on Mike Pence actually making an announcement um, 
instead of just saying that he has FEC filings. So your calls and more are coming up straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America, welcome back again. Uh, open phone, America. We're about to start taking your calls. If you want to get in, feel free. Eight three three four Valdez. Eight three three four eight two five three three seven. And we're discussing twenty twenty four politics. Of course, we talked about the restaurant business and specifically why meat is so expensive, in particular beef. And of course, we talked about how Target has lost thirteen billion dollars in market um, value because of their insistence in promoting this LGBTQ clothing line that uh, has raised a lot of eyebrows. So we'll get into all of that momentarily. If you missed any of our guests tonight, feel free to always listen in on our website. It's free. Rich Valdez, America at night.com. Rich Valdez, America at night.com. Let's uh, start our journey across the country in Ohio. Let's check in with Paul, listening to Rich Valdez, com. Go right ahead, Paul. Welcome. Hey, good e- uh, thank you. Good evening, Rich. Yeah, you know, the more I'm watching this um, uh, presidential uh, election coming up play out, I was always a Democrat, and then I kind of changed my mind a little bit uh, back in 2017. I... Uh, went a little more toward the Republicans because I like what they had to say. But now that I'm watching the Republicans in actions, I, I think you guys don't have a, a – I think you're kind of weak. It's like you don't have a spine. You know, with this no, debt deal. of course not. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, and I kind of question myself, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I was on the middle, you know, in the middle for a while. I was always told I was a Democrat. That's why I was a Democrat. But then I woke up and realized. But now that I'm seeing how the Republicans are acting, you know – Trump is the best thing that's happened to this country in years. I don't care what anybody says. You know, if we can't get him back in, I don't know what the consequences would be. I mean, I could run tomorrow. The only thing that I think that's happening here is maybe that some of these candidates that are running for president, um, they could uh, throw in a little, um, what do you call it, Rich, when it gives uh, Donald Trump more votes or uh, it takes away from the Democratic vote. Oh, like a wedge. That's where I would be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I would like to see somebody come to our into our country and into our politics that wants to do what's right for America, and Donald Trump has done that. Joe Biden surely hasn't. He said he was going to be the man to unify. Yeah, well, I haven't seen that, Rich. You know, mm-hmm. and he also said he was going to cure cancer. Yeah, he sure did. And <laughs> you know, I, I just yeah, I just you know think that Donald Trump would be the best way to go, and I think that DeSantis should wait. 
four more years. You know, let Donald Trump take the helm, and then I think he would be better qualified. Take care of Florida first, dude, and then, you know, you could be the president for maybe the next eight years if the Republicans stand up to the Democrats because they're a tough lot, and they've always been that way. And that's my comment, your uh, response. Yeah, yeah, well, I I think um, there's a lot of things you said there. One, I think there's always been a battle within the Republican Party, and I think this is partially why Reagan got elected uh, when he did when I was a little kid. Uh, I think this is why Trump got elected. I think uh, there are, you know, there's an ebb and flow of people that just like Republicanism and and these status quo um, establishment Republican. The, uh, for lack of a better... um, comparison the mitch mcconnell's of the world right who's you know according to many a republican only in name only right and these rhinos if you will there there's a number of them there's a lot of them that are very very happy to to just continue doing what they've always done and i agree with some of them on some topics and disagree with them on others and when put in a position where it's like, do I choose him or do I choose Bernie Sanders? Do I choose the establishment Republican or do I choose AOC? The choice is absolutely clear. You go with the Republican, even if it's a weak one, because a weak Republican is still better than a crazy lefty any day of the week, in my opinion. However, what I will say is that you have this this uh, conundrum here where people are like, well, I don't like the Democrats and the Republicans. They, they spend just as much. Well, they have to be held accountable too. And that's why I think people really like the, the, the tea party. And then uh, I'm going to say the resurgence of the tea party known as the MAGA movement, where people were saying, no, you know, look, enough is enough. We want to do X, Y, and Z, and and we're not gonna, we're not going to take it. And people became tough politically speaking. And and elected people that they wanted to see elected. And we saw those changes with the Tea Party. Now, where do we go from there? I don't know. Is the MAGA movement uh, going to survive the test of time? I feel like it will. It has and it will. I think we'll continue to, to go in the right direction. However, that doesn't mean that we don't have to clean house internally. Right. We've got to make sure that we get rid of Mitch McConnell, who's, you know, best friend uh, is I'm going to say Chuck Schumer. You know, if as long as we have that situation going on, we're in pretty bad shape. Just in uh, in in my opinion, Paul. Yeah, and Mitch McConnell's one of the biggest rhinos in the party. I don't like him, and I like your uh, impression of him. So um, <laughs> I just want to tell you. <laughs> well, 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 thank thank you, Paul. I'm I'm a turtle, a turtle McConnell. Yeah, he's he's terrible, and I think we've got to do a better job at getting rid of guys like that. And, again, easier said than done, right? Whatever I say on the radio is, you know, it, it's for laughs and giggles, but uh, it's not that easy to do in practice. These are very powerful politicians that it's going to require uh, a really solid plan to, to take them out. Good news is they don't have age or gravity on their side. Uh, the only thing that the age brings is wisdom and how to, you know, maneuver these political obstacles that they find themselves in, but they know how to get out of them by just keeping their mouths shut. Anyway, thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. And I just wanted to, to your point that Trump is a proven president. I have to say, I agree with that point. I think that's a very solid point. I didn't want to scurry off and, and ignore the other point that you made. The, 
the, the fact that he has a track record, I think, is valuable. And I think that's what voters are going to have to decide and say, look, we have all these other great Republicans that are running. Um, I may like um, some of what they say, but ultimately, I think you can look at everything Trump has done and and decide for yourself. And people that I think are being honest with themselves will um, will see that 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 growth, that how America was not the way it is today, how it was, you know, just a few short years ago. So I think we're going to see some of that. I don't know how much of that we're going to see, but I think we're going to see some of that nonetheless, Paul. Yeah. Amen to that. Well, thank you, Rich. You bet, my brother. Good to hear from you. Thanks for the call. Big shout out to everybody uh, in Zanesville, Ohio. And thanks for tuning in tonight online. Rich Valdez, America at night.com. If you ever miss and an, not an episode, but even just an interview, one of our conversations with one of our guests, you can always go to Rich Valdez, America at night.com. Rich Valdez, America at night.com is the website. You could uh, sign up for our newsletter. You can also listen to any show that you'd like. There's a number of archive shows there. You could listen to the most current show. And you could sign up for the podcast, which I encourage you to do. Plus, this week we have a, a really good podcast that's coming your way uh, where we're going to bring that to you on This Is America. It's my other podcast, and I strongly recommend you check that one out. It's four segments. It's very short, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. So head over to Rich Valdez, America at night.com. <clears throat> now, let's see. Where do we go from here? Janie. Brownsville, Nebraska on KMA. Go right ahead. Good evening, Rich. It's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, Likewise. I'm calling in in honor and respect of all the vets, especially my dad who served in World War II, and he was stationed while he was in there at Lockheed and aircraft, or, well, he was on the assembly line making, building those little P-38s. Not little, but they were mighty feisty little fast fighters, but he was on the assembly line building those, and then, of course, they conquered the Japs down in Manila when he was stationed down there, and he was in the Wativo Hardware building um, at, at upper level when a sniper almost took him out, but he had the GSR, the gunshot residue, on his left ear, and he wow. wore that as his battle scar, but... Yeah, Janie, hold that thought. The music means we got to go, but I want to come back and wrap this up with you to give your dad the honor he's due. So stick around with us, folks. We're coming right back. Your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. Give us a call. We're talking about D-Day and everything else. I'm Rich Valdez. It's America at Night, and we're coming right back. We stand on a lonely, windswept point on the northern shore of France. The air is soft, but 40 years ago at this moment, the air was dense with smoke and the cries of men, and the air was filled with the crack of rifle fire and the roar of cannon. At dawn on the morning of the 6th of June, 1944, 225 rangers jumped off the British landing craft and ran to the bottom of these cliffs. 
Their mission was one of the most difficult and daring of the invasion, to climb these sheer and desolate cliffs and take out the enemy guns. The Allies had been told that some of the mightiest of these guns were here, and they would be trained on the beaches to stop the Allied advance. The Rangers looked up and saw the enemy soldiers, the edge of the cliffs, shooting down at them with machine guns and throwing grenades, and the American Rangers began to climb. They shot rope ladders over the face of these cliffs and began to pull themselves up. When one Ranger fell, another would take his place. When one rope was cut, a Ranger would grab another and begin his climb again. They climbed, shot back, and held their footing. Soon, one by one, the Rangers pulled themselves over the top, and in seizing the firm land at the top of these cliffs, they began to seize back the continent of Europe. 225 came here. After two days of fighting, only 90 could still bear arms. And behind me is a memorial that symbolizes the Ranger daggers that were thrust into the top of these cliffs. And before me are the men who put them there. These are the boys of Puente Hope. These are the men who took the cliffs. These are the champions who helped free a continent. And these are the heroes who helped end a war. Gentlemen, I look at you and I think of the words of Stephen Spender's poem. You were men who in your, quote, lives fought for life and lift, left the vivid air signed with your honor. Of course, that is uh, the late, great President Ronald Reagan on the 40th anniversary of D-Day, on June 6, 1984. Of course, commemorating those that served and um, especially of those that, that are no longer with us and gave the ultimate sacrifice on that D-Day uh, and every commemoration since we honor them. I want to continue with our calls. I know that uh, we were in the middle of a call with Janie. She's in Brownsville, Nebraska on KMA. She was discussing how her dad was was um, caught by, by the, the bad guys and had some gunshot residue on his ear. Uh, let's jump back into that story because I want to make sure your dad has uh, the appropriate time to be honored. Janie, welcome back. Yes, Rich. Um, he wasn't captured. Um, this was during um, World War II when half the troops were fighting the Nazis and mm -hmm. half were fighting the Japanese. And he was in the South Seas of Manila when the Japs had desecrated Manila. And when the troops had moved in, there wasn't much of Manila left. But there, the, his troops were stationed in the what was known as the Wativo Hardware Building, what was left of it upstairs. And a sniper down below, a Japanese sniper, when my dad was looking out over the range through the window, had taken a pot shot. And my dad just, well, by the grace of God, was, you know, he had the GSR on his left ear, but if it had been a fraction of an inch in, he would have been gone. But this is what he was left with the story for us kids, and he didn't, he had such such honor that he, mm -hmm. we never knew much about the war till we got in our later teens. He didn't really want to you know, talk much about it. And I guess a lot of the fellows were like that. And for the children of those 
war heroes. They, 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 their dads really didn't talk to them much until later. But I have my dad's autobiography that he had given to my mom, and then he passed away in 2012. And so I'm just so proud of him and all of the veterans that served to keep this, this country free. Well, outstanding. I, um, I salute your dad. And his service, obviously, I thank you for for calling to to commemorate his service. And, you know, a a lot of people who came in touch with World War II veterans all have the same, many of them have similar uh, reactions and responses that they've gotten from them, which is they would ask them, what was it like? How was it? And they just wouldn't answer. And uh, they would just be very, very quiet about it because of, you know, so many of the things they saw that, perhaps weren't suitable for everybody to um, hear or they might be distressed by this stuff. But what were some of your conversations like with your dad? My dad, I was like you, Rich. I was kind of a barber, even though I was a girl. I used to cut <laughs> my dad's hair for a quarter. <laughs> and my oh, so he'd start and I, talking. Br- What's that? <laughs> Usually well, the barber gets the scoop on everything because people love to talk when they're in the barber's chair the closeness with my dad. I was his youngest, and so my brother in between us two honorary girls. But my dad was a very humble man, but a very devout Christian. And so I think this is why he didn't want to talk about it, because on both sides, there's always casualties, but we had to fight to keep our country our country free. We couldn't just give it over to communism and, and the you know, sadistic powers that wanted to take it. And so when my dad was, you know, stationed at Lockheed, he was only 19 when he went in, and and he had lost his mom on his 18th birthday. So it's quite a story that he went from losing his mom on his 18th to then going right into the war. But um, through God's graces, you know, God kept my dad, or else I wouldn't be here telling the story. But I am just so proud of him with all the all the warriors of the war, all the veterans. I'm just so proud of our country and proud of the honors and the things that they sacrificed to keep us free and in this home of the free and the brave. Outstanding. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Godspeed to you, Janie. Thank you for the call. And again, uh, a, a big uh, shout out to your dad and, and his, his memory and, of course, his service and everybody that served. Thank you, Janie, on KMA in Nebraska. Folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDES. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. Welcome back. 
Uh, we're going to continue with your calls. Our telephone number is 833-482-5337. And uh, let's go to uh, Ron in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Ron, go right ahead. Uh, yeah, Rich, this is my opinion. Uh, like I say, I served six years in the Army. I hunted with my dad on the Missouri when I was about 10 years old. Like I said, I'm 86 now. And there's these. there are two things that I, if you could do, this is my opinion. Sure. Number one, a 10-day waiting period. You go in and you buy a gun, you got to wait 10 days before you can pick it up. That would give more yep. and more time for everybody to make sure that this guy was all right. And the other thing, and this is paramount, eliminate all high-capacity magazines. Right now, well, if What's a high-capacity in your opinion? Yes, this is this, that's my opinion. How many? How many is a high capacity? Anything over uh, three shells. So if they have six in a magazine or a revolver, that's a six shooter. That's a high capacity weapon. All right. So all right, we'll make it six then. But I would not go more than that, Rick. That is ridiculous. And oh, and right. I, you know, there's an argument. For all the old duck and goose hunters, migratory waterfowl, you can only have three shells in your gun, and there's a federal game warden that stops by and checks your gun. You allowed one in the chamber, two in the magazine, and all the duck hunters are listening, and there's probably thousands of them. They all know this. You can only have three shells. In Australia, you know what they did? You want to buy a gun? Fine, but there's a big waiting period, and you can only buy a single shot. You shoot once, you got to stop and reload. <laughs> yeah, well, Ron, thank you for your service. I, I really appreciate that and respect it. Um, I have, of course, I don't think I agree with uh, with your position on on limiting guns, and I'll tell you why. Because in in my world, and again, this is just limited to what's between my two ears. But I'm thinking there's there's only one reason that I I have a right to keep and bear arms, and it's to protect myself from a tyrannical government, my government. And my government has lots of weapons and lots of bullets and lots of everything. Now, of course, I can defend my home and their self-protection and all that stuff. And the, the chances of you getting robbed by somebody with a six-shooter or an Australian one-shooter, I'm going to say are slim to none. But the chances of you getting robbed by somebody with a standard standard nine millimeter um, 15 in, in the magazine, one in the chamber that that's pretty standard. And I just don't want to be outmatched by my assailant, whether it's an armed IRS agent, whether it's the government coming at me for whatever reason to, to do X, Y, and Z to me, uh, or if it's somebody trying to rob me, I, the last thing I want to do is, you know, pull out a slingshot or a pea shooter to somebody that's, you know, got some serious firepower. Now, I understand the argument can be made that, look, your government, if you're afraid of your government, they could come at you with a bazooka and a tank and this and that. And I'm going to say, you're right. And I'm just going to do my best to protect myself as best I can without relinquishing any more of the current rights that I have to, um, to protect myself. I can't, I just can't give those rights up. So uh, those are those are my thoughts, and I understand they they come from a well-intentioned place. But at the end of the day, I, I'm not going to limit myself 
uh, just because there are bad guys out there who don't follow the rules and go and do bad things with firearms. I think illegal possession of firearms and those that are stealing guns and whatnot, those people are going to continue doing what they do and doing bad things. And it's only us, the, the good intention people, the suckers that follow the law, that are going to be curtailed from doing anything uh, by following any new such laws. So anyway, Ron, thank you very much. I did want to share a quick story with you guys. Of all places, CNN, listen to this. Hundreds of white women gather at Colorado Capitol after a plea from women of color to use their privilege to demand action on gun violence. So hundreds of white women gathered in Colorado at the Capitol And they did this because they want women, uh, the white women, to use their quote-unquote privilege to help women of color. I mean, this is just fascinating. Fascinating, this concept. Uh, It's kind of like the idea that if we tell people not to buy guns and not to shoot people, that they will not buy guns and not shoot people. Of course, people that are following the law will likely not do that, and people that love to break the law will love to break the law. But that's what happened here. And the the sit-in also came at a time where the national debate over gun control and um, it is hot. And nearly two months after uh, Jared Polis uh, from Colorado signed into law four gun control bills, including one to expand the state's red flag law, obviously this has been adding insult to injury uh, to people that have been following this issue. So... That's the um, interesting spot we're at on that. We're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead as we wrap up this D-Day edition of America at Night. Stand by. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and we're going to wrap up with your calls on this D-Day edition of America at Night. And I want to uh, start with Mike in Grass Valley, California, KNCO. Mike, go right ahead. Hi, how are you doing, Rich? First of all, Wonderful. this is in response to our Vietnam veteran, and I salute him for his service. To give you a little qualification, we've talked before, but I have 30 years law enforcement experience. And I'm a nine-year Ronald Reagan Marine. Okay. so But I'm also a certified firearms instructor for California. And he doesn't understand. So, for instance, you get multiple assailants break into your house. Normally, it's two or more on a home invasion. You have, if we go the way of Australia, we have a single-shot shotgun. Might as well just lay it down and give up. Because you have no way to defend yourself. And the Second Amendment wasn't written for hunting. Right. You know, it just wasn't. It was. And then then we have the red flag laws. That's a serious slippery slope that empowers disgruntled neighbors, angry exes. It's just a bad idea. But our psychological professionals are not doing their job either by not bringing to the attention, say, our DOJ when they have an individual who's seriously mentally unstable and a firearms owner. 
and they should report that. But because of HIPAA, they don't. So we're caught in a catch-22. You know, I mean, it, it's it's insane. I am very pro-gun. I teach women and children for free, et cetera, just to introduce them to it, to the basics. And then anybody else who wants to learn, I'll give them regular full-on classes. And but, you got to take it from there, right? Mm-hmm. Because you got to start somewhere. And, uh, Mike, I want to thank you for your service and for your call. Big shout-out to everybody in Grass Valley, California, KNCO. Got to move it along to Al. Al's calling from Kalispell, Montana, K-O-F-I. Al, go right ahead. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. What's on and your mind? And, well, California had passed a seven-day waiting period to buy a gun. And when the L.A. riots broke out, thousands of people who would pass a background check went to their gun stores. And they told them, look, I can sell you the gun today, but you got to come back in a week. These hmm. people were terrified. Right. Right. And they had no, uh, no way to... Uh... To, to protect themselves in the midst of the crazy that was going on. And I remember that was crazy. You had all these uh, shop owners that were, you know, trying to guard their places. It was, it was really out of control. Excellent point. Excellent point. I appreciate that. Al in Kalispell, Montana, KOFI. Big shout out to you guys. Uh, let us go to Bill. Bill is in Tully, New York, W-A-U-B, out of Syracuse. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. How's it going, man? I just want to give you a heads up. I really like what your show is all about. And uh, I feel like our gun rights are Um, non-negotiable. I can understand, uh, you know, background checks and the things that we're doing now. But it's the criminals. It's not, I mean, you you literally put the guns in the hands of criminals that are stealing weapons and stuff. And the rest of us shouldn't have to abide by the stupidity. Um, I actually, I'm a U.S. Army guy. My father is a Vietnam vet. My uncle Dan's a Vietnam vet. And what I want thank to you both for your service. They didn't exactly get a warm welcoming on the on the, on the ride home, and mm-hmm. uh, we have a memorial in our area that they're from that I can't seem to get their name on, and it's driving me nuts. How do I how do I go about doing that? And uh, I don't know, but advice. starting here on the radio is not a bad place. If anybody's in Syracuse. Uh, in that area, Tully, New York, listening, uh, we we definitely want to help them out. What are their names, Bill? Uh, Dan Wood and uh, William Switzer. That's my father is William Switzer, and my uncle's Dan Wood. He actually went and received a bunch of medals. Uh, he was a, a tunnel rat, from what I understand, and only after uh, my father uh, got him over to get some help at the VA, he actually opened up and told my father a bunch of things about his experience, which was a complete nightmare once I heard the stories yeah. and uh and it's just nice to see that the rva is taking care of them now and uh amen and i love that. my vietnam vets i love all my vets thank you bill i appreciate it godspeed to you thank you for your service i hope you get your dad and your grandpa recognized on that memorial folks it's been an honor and a pleasure to be here with you uh acknowledging the 79th anniversary of d-day we're doing it again tomorrow take care good night and god bless I am Rich Valdez. We'll do it again tomorrow. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> 
Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.